Welcome back to the Getting Grit Podcast. I am Brad Pohl, your host, and this is where we tell the stories of sinners and saints. The man known as Ulysses S. Grant was quiet and soft-spoken, yet he inspired great courage in men upon the battlefield. Even so, his loyal lieutenant, William Tecumseh Sherman, doubted him and told him precisely that Grant's triumph owed in large measure to his fundamental common sense and to his chief characteristic, an unshakable faith in victory. Grant brought a relentless drive to warfare and a united effort among men as opposed to standing still. An intensely loyal man who was in himself imperfect, yet for Lincoln and the Union, he was the perfect path, fulfilling the tenet that for men to go far, they must unite and go together. Grant was both flawed and imperfect, and his taste for strong drink first became rumors and problematic back in the 1850s. However, Lincoln was not deterred by the rumors and placed him in charge of the Grand Armies of the Republic in 1864 while inquiring of the general's favorite whiskey. Grant, who described the Confederate cause as one of the worst for which people ever fought and one for which there was the least excuse. When General William Rosecrans refused Grant's order to advance because it would violate the military maxim not to fight two decisive battles at the same time, Grant replied, it would be bad to be defeated in two decisive battles fought the same day, but it would not be bad to win them. Bringing to mind the tenet that fear can disguise our strength because effort is like a muscle. It can become stronger as well as weaker. Grant was known for his distaste for military dress. One observer who saw Grant during the war described him as a scrubby-looking man with a seedy look. Yet Grant was fearless. And once he was given a task to accomplish, he did everything he could to accomplish it, and he got results. As one observer writes, the war could have been won without Grant, but a lot more men would have had to have died. When he accepted the surrender from General Lee for the armies of Northern Virginia, he promised not to prosecute, and he would hold to his word to the end, holding off President Johnson in the courts on his reputation alone for Confederate parole, bringing to mind the tenet that forgiveness, as well as telling the truth, causes suffering, but do them anyway. As president, he fought for the 15th Amendment, the right to vote for people of all color, and he believed and supported in reconstruction of the South. Frederick Douglass said, Grant should be spoken of in the same breath as Lincoln in support for the rights of the black man. He had no political training before being elected the 18th president of the United States, and there were at least 11 scandals that plagued Grant's presidency while he was in office. And knowing that history would judge him harshly, he wrote in his final message to Congress, it was my fortune or misfortune to be called to the office of chief executive without any previous political training. But under such circumstance, it is but reasonable to suppose that failures which have occurred have been errors of judgment, not of intent. After leaving office in 1877, he traveled extensively for a few years. Shortly before noon on May 6, 1884, Ulysses S. Grant entered the office of his newly formed Wall Street brokerage firm, a wealthy man. Hours later, he exited a pauper. Thanks to the unscrupulous partner, Ferdinand Ward, Grant's investment firm had instantly collapsed, wiping out his entire life savings. In fact, Grant had all of $80 to his name. And soon thereafter, he learned he had incurable throat and tongue cancer. 
the grizzled general undertook one final mission to save his family from the prospect of leaving him penniless. Bring to mind the tenet that you should never sulk, hang your head, or show defeat. He became a captivating storyteller with a dry wit over the years, and Mark Twain convinced him to write his memoirs. Engaged in a furious race against time, as the cancer attacked his body, Grant dug into his writing. He had the amazing ability to marshal all of his energy in the pursuit of a single goal. He penned his manuscript until his hands grew too feeble, forcing him to employ a stenographer. Even speaking became laborious as his condition deteriorated, with excruciating pain accompanying every swallow, his body withered by the day. The voice that once commanded arms could barely muster a whisper. Grant's doctors gave him morphine, only sparingly in order to keep his mind clear. They swabbed his throat with cocaine to provide pain relief and injected him with brandy during the worst of his coughing fits. Mark Twain pre-sold 100,000 copies of the autobiography, Personal Memoirs of Ulysses S. Grant, and he would triple that after printing. Like in a battle, that was the moment Grant knew the tide had turned. Relieved, he had succeeded in giving Julia and his children financial security, bringing to mind the tenant, always protect your siblings, teammates, and those beside you in the foxhole. Grant finally laid down his pen on July 16th after crafting 366,000 words in less than a year. He wrote, I am not likely to be more ready to go than at this moment. Three days after finishing his memoirs, Grant died of throat cancer at the age of 63 in upstate New York. More than one and a half million Americans came to mourn him. His last words were, I hope that nobody will be distressed on my account. Grant's tomb rests in New York City. Author Anthony Esselin writes, To say that if I wander across the battlefield at Gettysburg, I may pause at a memorial to see this or that army from the north or south and say, These men offered their lives here. Or I may climb the rise upon which Pickett's men sacrificed themselves in their desperate charge. And such memorials and such thoughts are cultural, properly speaking. We ought to have more of them, not fewer. And everywhere, not only in places thick with the traffic of tourists. Yet our millennial amnesia, which is nothing less than the desire to erase the concept of our home, our country, our land, wants to obliterate them. We once yearned for this America, like the fabled Ulysses yearned for Ithaca, like a man yearns for heaven, we had grit. We should be more in awe of the burden a man carries than being judgmental about the burden itself, writes Father Boyle. If we are not, then we betray the tenets of man's nobility, that imperfect men can change their path, turn around, and find God's mercy, despite a war going on around them. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Young man, make for yourself a grit drawer and fill it up. Someday you'll need what's in it. Ain't it so? This is Gittin' Grit signing off. Blessings to you all. Dominus Vobiscum.